Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. And today we are honored to have a special guest. And uh, that is my good friend, Daniel Elizondo, otherwise known as Omega Point, who co-authored uh, Loose Threads with the Hermetic Penetrator. So welcome, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's 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 great to finally have you on. Uh, I wanted to yeah, have I... you on. Yeah, no, I wanted to have you on right when the right when the the paper or if you want to call it a PDF or book first came out. Um, but you know, here we are, you know, now finally. So um for for people watching and listening, they may be familiar with loose threads and hopefully they've seen an interview of yours before. If not, uh, you know, they'll be introduced to you here. Uh, but for for people watching and listening, can you explain what loose threads is in a, in a nutshell? Yeah, so you know, loose threads really came about um, due to the release of a few different things, right? So first, we had the release of um, you know the Wilson Davis notes, which um, you know obviously you and your colleagues have been um, really voracious in getting out and um, and researching at length. So we had that. But then we also got um, Oak Shannon's notes from um, one of the first meetings in 1985 of the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, which was a group that was formed by John Alexander and Colonel Blackburn and how Putoff seemed to be very involved there at the beginning as well in putting that together. And basically, um, we also had some, some slides from that meeting that uh, were made available as well. And so, um, you know, it was really trying to look at those um, intertextual links between all of these different documents that they sort of spoke to each other. Um, and, and so what we ended up doing is sort of following these people that were involved in that movement and in later movements that were, were related to that. Um, and really starting with SRI, um, the remote viewing program um, back in the 70s, all the way up through um, the NIDS and BAS years. Um, and so um, it, it, and it's sort of what you find is a group um, that it has varying, seemingly varying levels of access into um, different Black programs or who were um, seeking access to Black programs. And so, um, you know, by following what these people were doing, what they were working on, what they were interested in, we start to glean some information um, about what it is that, um, what were the prevailing hypotheses, right? What were the things that Osap Bass was looking at, you know? Um, what were the things that, um, you know, that potentially some of these um, defense and aerospace contractors were looking at and interested in as well? Um, and you'll find that it gets pretty crazy pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, recent events seem to only confirm some of our findings in terms of, um, you know, what it is that these, that these uh, groups were looking at what they were after. Yeah, and I think it's it's very noteworthy to say that you know all these people had you know very high security clearances. They're in the defense world. Uh, they have an interest in these subjects, and they're pursuing them. And in and in loose thread, you guys are almost kind of outlining the journey of how these people tried to penetrate these programs and and learn what they could about uh, the UFO reality and and you know, if, if the U S government had programs, uh, what were the extent of the programs? How, how deep did they actually go? And, and, you know, what even was, was blocking them from getting in. So, uh, you know, again, like you said, with, with recent events, uh, people now hopefully have all seen 
the David Grush interview and story uh, on the debrief that was written by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and the, the, the excellent interview that was done by Ross Coulthart on um, News Nation, where, you know, David Grush is giving his his public testimony, basically, as a whistleblower who was in proximity to what we can call crash retrieval and and tech, uh, technology exploitation programs, reverse engineering programs that, you know, remarkably sound similar to uh, what we're familiar with in, in, in ufology, right. Which is, which is uh, pretty remarkable, you know, considering all the decades of information and claims that have been made. And, you know, here you have, you know, what we can call an insider, somebody who is involved with the NRO and NASA, uh, NGA, uh, National Geospatial Agency. He was a, a part of the UAP task force as a, a lead investigator and somebody who has has briefed the president of the United States on the UAP issue, right? So that's that's pretty remarkable that you have somebody of that caliber that's coming forward, making these claims publicly, but not only that, but putting in a complaint to the intelligence community inspector general and, and that testimony being deemed credible and urgent. So I think it's important for for people to read loose threads and and be familiar with the material uh, to show that this is not a new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a there's a history to it. And I think what you guys did with loose thread, loose threads really paints a, a very clear picture or, you know, at least as clear as can be given the information that's publicly available uh, to add context to say that this is not a new thing. And this, you know, these programs and questions have been around for quite a long time. Um, so, you know, in, in writing uh, loose threads, is there anything given the, the recent developments with David Grush and, and other whistleblowers and people who are talking about crash retrieval programs and reverse engineering programs, is there any information that you think stands out that uh, further supports or validates those kind of claims. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, there were, there were really lots of things and there were a couple of thing, key things that were really absent from loose threads that now I look back and I'm like, man, we really should have covered that. Um, and, uh, and so I think, you know, obviously, you, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, but, you know, I think the big thing, um, that we can see in loose threads is just the, um, the similarities of, this situation, this overall situation that David Grush found himself in as someone who is basically doing his job, right? He's been tasked to go and do this as part of his duties. He finds this program and he's denied access and he finds himself um, uh, seeing reprisals, right? And reprisals, it seems like that were stemming from perhaps the, the DOD, right? Um, because it looks like his um, his actual first complaint was to the DOD inspector general. Um, and it was as a result of that first complaint that he started to see these reprisals. And it was after that, that he went to the ICIG, um, you know, to, to file that reprisal complaint along with, um, with his other claims that they investigated and, and seemed to have deemed credible and urgent. Um, that being said, you know, we have, um, not just one, but several attempts to gain access to this program, to investigate this program within the Wilson Davis document itself. 
right? So you have obviously the Thomas Wilson, um, you know, uh, attempt to get into this program. But in his attempts to find the program, he actually talked to a few people. Um, he talked to um, someone named um, uh, Mike Kostelnik, who was the director of special programs at ALSTAT, um, which is the um, Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics. And um, Kostelnik and his boss um, basically helped him to find the records group um, and to get at this program. Um, but what Kostelnik also told him was that there was someone else, Bill Perry, who had found this program, or at least found this program that seemed really fishy because the budget for the security was six to seven times higher um, than the budget for the program itself. Um, and Bill Perry wanted to launch an investigation and was told to drop it. Now, this may seem like, oh, this is just a, a, a typical audit, but ultimately Bill Perry was the secretary of defense. And at one, at one point he was the undersecretary of defense. And then a year later, he was the secretary of defense. So who is it that was telling the secretary of defense potentially, or the future secretary of defense to drop this investigation? You have no business looking at this. Um, it, it really paints a picture as to this, this constant refrain that we see. It's so ubiquitous in the UFO literature and in these documents that we've that we've come to find, just that you find this secret program and all of a sudden someone, um, they blackball you, right? They big league you. Um, and usually it's someone seemingly in the Pentagon that does this. Um, you know, Thomas Wilson talks, talks with these um, gatekeepers who really only wanna talk about, um, the really the only reason they wanna meet with them is to find out how he found them because it was their understanding from a previous um, situation, which was not Bill Miller. It was actually the Comptroller General, um, George Bauscher, who found it during an audit um, in 84, 85. And, you know, Richard Dolan's done a really great breakdown of this that, that talks about these different, um, these different times where, um, where this program was found. And likewise, he tried to take it to the, the DOJ um, to launch an investigation. But uh, according to Jim Westwood, who uh, was a really really uh, good UFO researcher who actually was on Hal Putoff's pay payroll, according to Forbidden Science 5, he was blocked, right? This investigation that he wanted to do at DOJ was blocked by a powerful person, quote unquote, in DOD. Um, and so, you know, if I look at who is um, David Grush most like, I see him most like George Bauscher, because George Bauscher um, took this, he tried to follow an official um, an official process, right, to take care of this issue, right? He was going to open an investigation with the Department of Justice. And likewise, we have now David Grush, who is also trying to open an investigation or at least follow an official, um, you know, procedure within the government to do things the right way. And I think the key difference here is that it's semi-public now, right? And, and not even semi-public, it's very public, right? It's been on the news, um, you know, not, not necessarily in the mainstream media, but at least in large media, mass media. Um, and, 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 you know, we have um, senators and um, congressmen who are engaged on this topic, but they're engaged publicly on the topic. And, and we've had congressmen engaged in the past, but now we have them engaged publicly. And I think that's, that's a really big thing.
Um, so those just kind of thinking about the overall situation, I think that they're very similar there. Um, another thing that I wanted to, to draw our attention to is just the stuff that Grush is saying, right? He's talking about that we have crash retrieval program. Um, he specifically talks about that we have, um, that this program has been hidden, that it's been nested, right, within other SAPs. And this is something that Tom Wilson also said, that this was, that these this program was hidden in other more conventional SAPs, um, you know, kind of carve-outs as well. And so the setup of the program, or whether it's, you want to think of it as one program, or you want to think of it as multiple programs that are related to each other, like four or more, um, it's this, the program, right, usually refers to, you can think of it as one or, or multiple, um, you know, that, that it's the same setup where you have an SAP, um, a special access program that is tasked to do something that makes sense from a, just a regular kind of, it's not conventional per se, but, you know, something that is not related to NHI or UFOs, but then you task them with this other subset of problems or materials to examine, to reverse engineer, um, whether it be programs relating to, right, the actual material, whether it be programs related to the physiology, maybe possibly even bodies and, and uh, you know, tissue samples and things like that, um, you know, and, and so that, that overall structure seems to be the same there. Um, so you've got that piece. You also have the piece where David Grush, um, you know, and the part that really made me, frankly, excited, it shouldn't make someone excited to think about this, but just from the perspective of, of helping write this paper with my wonderful um, research partner, Hermes, is, um, is the efforts to down UFOs. Um, I think I have the, I think I have the um, Ross Colthart in his interview right, for News Nation asked, he said, I've been told that there have been attempts to bring down craft, that we've acted offensively against non-human craft. And Grush said, there have been instances and there are certain techniques. And we covered those potential techniques, or at least some of those potential techniques at length in Loose Threads. Um, and, you know, there's another piece there, uh, you know, that Ross Colthart said, have human beings been hurt or killed by a non-human intelligence? And Grush said, well, I can't get into the specifics because that would reveal certain U.S. classified operations. I was briefed by a few individuals on the program that there are malevolent events like that. Um, and, and so, you know, we covered um, we covered those instances or, or potentially where some of those instances stem from, uh, where some of that data stems from. And it might be from uh, Dr. Kit Green's work, right? Looking at, um, you know, human effects. This was actually one of the initial focuses of OSAT Bass that they wanted to know about human effects. And now we've we've got those 30 defense intelligence reference documents and Kit Green contributed one um, you know that talks about um, anomalous acute and subacute field effects on human biological tissues. It sounds very convoluted, but the bottom line is um, that he had a cohort, and this is really Hermes, um, this is his, he's written a lot of things even before we published Loose Threads, he really dove into this. So he's he's really the subject matter expert here. And I encourage anybody who's listening to this to go and read those, um, uh, those things on his Medium page. But he had a cohort of um, primarily military personnel that had grown to 180 cases. Um, and he said that a lot of that data came from his own unpublished personal archives dating back to 1978. Um, and he found these four key um, findings, that there were sufficient evidence 
that exists from human injuries and effects that you might even be able to reverse engineer certain aspects of the energy and propulsion systems. That if you can look at, um, if you can gather all this data and look at all the injuries, right? You might even be able to reverse engineer, um, you know, some of the uh, energies or the propulsion systems that might've caused those injuries. Um, and he said the case literature of anomalous CE3 and four events contain human injury data and it's robust enough so that injury patterns are scalable and self-consistent. So you see patterns in the data and that you can permit reasonable descriptions as the cause and effect, right? So that's kind of what we were just talking about there. Um, and crucially, he also said that there were details related to the actual UFO events that are unavailable to the general public because there's classified information that exists that is highly pertinent to the subject of his derb, right? Um, that has not been released yet. And, you know, this is also something that Dr. Gary Nolan has been involved in with um, in more recent years. Um, so I've got a quote here that I pulled up from Loose Threads, and it's actually, I think it came by way of um, Annie Jacobson's book, um, Phenomena. It says, um, these guys showed up and said, we need you to help us with this because we want to do blood analysis. And everyone says you've got the best blood analysis instrumentation on the planet. Then they started showing the MRIs of some of these pilots. So there's pilots. That's interesting, right? And ground personnel and intelligence agents who had been damaged. The MRIs were clear. You didn't have to be a medical doctor to see that there was a problem. Some of their brains were horribly, horribly damaged. And so that's what kind of got me involved. Um, he went on to say, and actually, I think that was maybe from the Vice article that he did rather than the, the book. So I apologize there. Um, but he also said that of the hundred or so patients that he looked at, looked at about a quarter of them died from their injuries. Um, you know, now he equates that to possibly that he had a cohort that was Havana syndrome, right? That these were Havana syndrome cases um, that he thinks maybe these were, right, not NHI, but possibly state actors. But we don't know that, right? Um, and he didn't necessarily say that all the people who died were necessarily Havana case syndrome, but he did say that he lost access to those files um, once more information about Havana syndrome started to come out. Um, but that being said, there's even a, a reference um, that we looked at in Loose Threads from Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science Volume 3, where um, Kit Green is talking about the Cash Landrum case. And he says he's afraid that two or three of the witnesses may die from the experience. Um, and so he actually discussed that case in that um, very convoluted title um, of the defense intelligence reference document that we just talked about that he submitted under contract for or under subcontract for Earth Tech, um, which is how Putoff's um, you know, company in Austin. So this, um, this uh, kind of thread of um, human injuries, possibly even human deaths, is something that we did look at in Loose Threads. And so when we start hearing that information, you know, your first, the first thought you go to is, well, they must have shot down some pilots. And I think that there are maybe some credible, um, you know, cases of that happening, not just here, but also in other countries. Um, but this is another area, right, where you have these, what you might call acute or subacute field effects, right, where there's some kind of psychotronic there's some kind of um, energy effect on the human body, on especially brain tissues, um, that is extremely dangerous 
And, and we don't know if it's, um, you know, uh, Grush called them malevolent events. We don't know if it's intentional or non-intentional. Um, that being said, if we are also taking offensive action against NHI and trying to bring down the craft, right, through different methods, um, then it's kind of hard to tell if that's malevolent. malevolent. Is it defensive? We don't really know, right? And so I don't, I'm not trying to make the case here that NHI are necessarily malevolent or benevolent. But I think that, you know, we need to kind of think about it in context of the data we're talking about here. Um, so there was, those things were, were very um, interesting to me. Um, you know, another thing that, uh, another thing that I thought was very interesting is Grush talking about the Cold War, that there's been an ongoing Cold War between, right, probably Russia, China, and the United States, maybe other countries as well, surrounding this UFO technology and the exploitation, the recovery of this technology. And that's something that we covered in Loose Threads as well, right? We talked about how, um, you know, even in the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, they were looking at NSA intercepts from the Soviets, talking about UFO cases, talking about, um, you know, even baiting UFOs. There were interviews that came out later with Soviet generals talking about how they used, um, uh, like uh, mock military exercises with special loads that were probably referencing um, nuclear material. And then we also have the Pentacle Memorandum from the 50s, where Howard Cross of Battelle is talking about, or, or rather um, trying to set into motion a plan to do a very similar thing, um, where they want to have these simulated military activities to um, just sort of see what happens, right? And it's possible that those activities also, um, also involve special loads, if you will. Um, and so, you know, and we also know that uh, the, the program at SRI, the remote viewing program, some of that sort of started or was catalyzed because they knew that the Soviets were working on this stuff too. Um, and so it was that, that knowledge that sort, of, that sort of led them down the path to be able to create this program. Um, so those are just some of the parallels that I see here. Um, you know, there's a lot. I, th I think, you know, another thing to think about as well is how Putoff had um, four iron posts, he calls them, right? Um, and we see that reference in, in Forbidden Science 5 and I think maybe even in For Forbidden Science 4. And we think that three of those posts were, um, those iron posts were um, George Bauscher, who we discussed already, Thomas Wilson, who people will be familiar with, and General John Sheehan who is a name that we actually did have in Loose Threads, um, not in that context, but because there were evidently people who thought that the program might have been under General John Sheehan, who is a um, United States Marine Corps general who was over NATO. Um, and so I'm not really sure what to make of that. It seems like maybe there was some telephone pictionary that might have been going on um, where, um, you know, you had somebody who uh, knew that there was this, um, that, that uh, he had discovered something and then, um, you know, through, it kind of gets lost in translation as it gets passed around the rumor mill to where now all of a sudden the program is under him. But that's the other, that's the other really big thing that General John Sheehan had actually found this program, had allegedly touched hit the craft, put his hands on the craft. And so, um, you know, Jim Westwood had determined that three of Hal's, Hal Putoff's iron posts that sort of backstop his story about um, about there being a real program with real recovered hardware and possibly even alien bodies, right? That there were these four iron posts and that the three were Bowsher, Tom Wilson, and, um, and General Sheehan. 
And so I think similarly, Grush has iron posts. And that's why I wanted to bring that up. Um, because Grush, the story about Grush is not really about Grush, is it, right? He's coming, he's he's sort of the public face of this push, right, in the background to, to get proper oversight of this and, and potentially to even inform the public about things that are responsible to um, inform the public about. And so, um, you know, he has people who have worked directly on the program or have um, direct contact with the program that have also, um, you know, brought and testified, brought their, their testimony before Congress. We now have Marco Rubio, um, who's come out recently, who's said explicitly that we have talked to those people um, and that they are people who worked on the program um, and that they seem to be, you know, like they they have high clearances. These are not people who are making this up. And he makes the, the you know, he says, look, even if, if uh, either two things are happening here, either this is real or partially real, or all of these people are in deep trouble because they're doing something that is, they are misleading the American people and the U.S. government. Um, and I think that's that's really crucial here. If this is not real, then you have an operation that's been going on for years, for years. And whoever's responsible for perpetuating that are going to find themselves in a lot of trouble if they don't come clean, come clean quick and very quick, right? Because they, they've put a you know, Congress with this new language that seems like it's, I just heard, I was telling you there's so much information coming out. Ross Colhart um, said that the, the three um, most important or, or highest um, oversight committees in Congress are now going to back up that new language that sort of gives the carrot and the stick where you're either going to tell us about this within, I think it's 60 days and make it available to Arrow within 180 days, or you're not going to receive funding anymore. Um, and possibly there are going to be some other repercussions there. Maybe it, it does get passed on to DOJ. And maybe because of it's so public, you can't have some powerful person that just blocks it and says, no, that's not going to happen. Because now we have elected officials involved, again, publicly, not privately. So anyway, that's a very long answer to a very short question. That's my specialty. So, <laughs> and there's so much more we could talk about here. Um, but I really do, I am, I'm interested in what brushes, who are his iron posts? Right. Um, I, I know that we had at, at one point that Eric Davis had commented that maybe there, you know, when the story came out, there was going to be maybe one of his old security officers was going to be involved. Um, I don't think that that was David Grush, but I could be wrong. Um, so maybe there's somebody else there. Um, and I'm just speculating. Right. I don't know who it might be, but there that could be one of Grush's iron posts. Right. Um, and, and I think there's also another interesting uh, piece to that there. If that was one of Eric Davis's security officers, um, then that's, doesn't that feel a little bit like maybe Eric Davis had access to maybe a program or something that had, or at least he knew people that were involved such that they had the same security officer. I don't know, right? You know, Eric Davis, you might be able to get him to clarify some of that or to call me an idiot, which I love. That would be an honor if he would do that, um, as he's so good at doing but yeah, so I, there's just so much, I mean, so many questions, um, but I do feel that, you know, a lot of what we looked at or a lot of the themes and the threads, if you will, that we discussed in Loose Threads, they're very relevant and, and it's all kind of coming to a head here um, or seemingly coming to a head. So I'm really inter interested to see what happens next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of what you're mentioning there. A lot of these kind of sentiments are mimicked in, in Jacques Vallée's Forbidden Science journals throughout the years. Mm -hmm. They're, um, you know, heard when you he listen to 
Dr. Eric Davis's interviews that he's done over the years Mm -hmm. and the way he's describing the program, how you access the program, which seems like he's talking about it from direct knowledge um, and, and the types of information that they gleaned and, and being involved with, you know, the program or potentially around it. And even with some of the things that Grush is saying, mimics what was in the the Wilson Davis memo or you know the interview that that Dr. Eric Davis did with Thomas Wilson and the discussion that they had uh you know not you know even in the details of you know not just crash but it seems like some of these objects are landed or placed and mm-hmm. they're recovered intact off-world vehicles not just crashed or downed uh, vehicles, but actually intact vehicles, which is uh, uh, another compelling correlation that's that's being spoken about several times here through different sources. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, there's there's been a lot of discussion about Eric Davis and his involvement. What what possibly may how he came across this information uh, was he given particular tasks right officially on the record to investigate this and what he was able to find uh mm-hmm. and maybe how he got involved that way so um I, I, that's all fascinating man i mean there's there's so much that you you were talking about there <laughs> even in regards to uh the biological effects right mm-hmm. uh, you know what of those biological effects were, could have also been uh from classified technologies that were able, um, you know, that were either just say conventional classified technologies or classified technologies that are somehow associated with UAP, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you had classified technology trying to draw in UAP, right? If you had classified technology trying to down UAP and the effects that, that even that would have on humans around them. Uh, so th- there's so many different angles to go on there. Right. And, and, you know, how much of that is cover and, you know, people assume because it's classified technology that it's, that's a cover uh, you know, they use UAP for a cover rather than the other way around. So, mm-hmm. and when it, when it's probably both. It is so, probably both. I agree. Yeah. So it's, it's, it gets really nuanced. Right. So I think that, Everybody needs to take a step back and look at the whole picture and not assume it's black or white or one thing or the other. And I think you guys did an excellent job in loose threads and, you know, showing each individual thread and how they intermingle because it's, it's, it's really, you know, you're talking about 80, 90 years of secrecy, um, but also misinformation, disinformation, psychological warfare, um, on you know from most definitely the united states government uh mm-hmm. directed you know whether whether the united states population is collateral damage for them trying to affect foreign intelligence or what have you to protect the program through counterintelligence um it's had an effect on on the u.s population for sure and our and our culture right and then there's the the whole other kind of meta or crazy level to that is you know what of all that is influenced by the phenomenon itself and the phenomenon's effect on 
on us as a human populace, but also on how the phenomenon may have influenced governments and, and leaders to make these kind of judgment calls and decisions. Um, and, you know, even if it wasn't, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to imagine that such a, an advanced intelligence, uh, non-human intelligence, couldn't foresee the effect that it's going to have on us. Um, and so I, I don't want to assign kind of like a kind of like intention behind it, but we, we don't have too many assumptions to go on based on all of that, right? Right. Um, it, and and in either rate, the end effect is the same, right? We have this effect on humans and and even I guess to our, our policy through their interaction with us. So that is in 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 essence a direct effect that the UFO phenomenon has on us on so many different levels. You know, that's not even getting down to the microcosm of close encounters, right? That's a whole other kind of thing. So I've got it on. I'll interject just for a second, if you don't mind. Um, I think. Just to ask this question, Lakatsky's experience at Skinwalker Ranch of seeing what I, I think is, I've, I've written about it at, at length. I've done like a three-part series on it because I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with it, um, where he saw what, what seems to be either a Mobius, Mobius strip or like a Klein bottle. Um, if that doesn't happen, do we get David Grush? I'm not sure that we do. And so I, I do see what you're saying there in terms of does the phenomenon even influence our policy, right? We th we've thought, we talked about like a tip slide nine before, right? Where, yeah. where, you know, we talk about almost like this meta where they're like, you know, put, we're all just puppets and they're the puppet masters, right? And, and, but there's also these really subtle things or not so subtle things that happen. That it's almost like a domino effect. And if you have, um, you know, beings who, um, you know, are able to produce quantum effects at a macro level, Right. Um, with their technology, um, with their capabilities, then you might have um, the ability to go in time, right? And to see if we do this, then this it, this will be the result. Um, you know, especially, um, you know, it, and that time distortion, um, you know, aspect, or, or rather even like the quantum interdimensional aspects, which would allow for those kinds of time distortions and time space-time metric manipulation and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, that shows up in Grush's testimony too, right? He he corrects and says, hey, you know, we're, we're not necessarily talking about extraterrestrials. And I think this is another very interesting new thing that's come from, um, from Grush, not new, um, you know, in the lore, but at least new from a public figure saying, hey, this isn't necessarily straight up extraterrestrials. We're going to use NHI, non-human intelligence, because um, that's maybe a little bit more appropriate. And, and he even used the word interdimensional. When has the public um, or even the UFO community at large heard that word in connection with these programs? I don't think that that's happened before. If it has, it, it, you know, it's not something that I've seen as a consistent theme. Obviously, Jacques Vallée, John Keel, um, you know, and, and others, even um, Dr. Putoff um, and Eric Davis have, have been looking into the, those possibilities, right? They've looked into kind of the interdimensional um, space-time metric engineering, all that kind of stuff. Um, but to see that coming out, I think is a very interesting, um, a very interesting development. And I'm interested, I'm interested to see where that, where that heads next with that narrative. 
Yeah, and it, it shows you, um, I mean, the complexity even of the public discourse on the subject now is no longer, you know, in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, especially, you know, even in our pop culture, especially throughout the 90s uh, mm-hmm. of, of the extraterrestrial hypothesis, the ETH was just like, it was like a given, right? It was, it was like almost like a subconscious assumption that UFOs must represent what we consider extraterrestrials from other planets or solar systems systems out in space where mm-hmm. now even in the you know the public discourse but especially in, in popular culture nowadays um you know you see definitely more films and and stories that represent something stranger than that you know you have like every marvel movie dealing with uh time travel and, and multiple multiple dimensions and that whole you know quantum um quantum I don't know what quantum universe, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's insane. The storylines that they have, but um, what, what people were saying within those programs, OSAP and ATIP and other, you know, people that we've heard from through forbidden science, you know, Jacques Vallée's volumes and, and some of his own speculations is that what the technology that we're seeing doesn't seem to merely uh, indicate that this is some kind of, extraterrestrial intelligence although it can be right? right it doesn't disclude that at all but but it it does indicate something that is probably not that simplistic right, right. because it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive or an either or scenario uh some some you know if if they're traveling you know a non-human intelligence is traversing dimensions is it also you know in in lieu of that going through time or or what you know maybe even something that we we're, we're not even accounting for right we don't have the equation yeah. to kind of point at this is what's going on well um, and i think it you know it, not to get too far off track here but i i do think too like you have to consider a lot of jacques valet's and to extent john keel's um you know hypotheses um you know they sort of look for an overarching answer for the most part um they both hedge they both open to to multiple possibilities but they they look at the diversity in the data, and it looks almost impossible that there could be so much diversity within the data. And so it, it seems like, well, it must be then that there's a manipulation or there's a um, sort of a, um, you know, a uh, there's one phenomenon that is manifesting in multiple different ways. And it's possible that there is. I, I, I think that the phenomenon at Skinwalker Ranch, whatever is there, has shown the ability to do just that. It mimics. And that's something that Holm Kelleher has talked about uh, he has like a three-layer model talking about cattle mutilations, where you have a phenomena, a phenomenon that a genuine phenomenon. Then you have, um, you know, black programs that use the genuine phenomenon as a cover, and then you have another layer, a phenomenon that mimics both of those other phenomenons and uses those as as a cover um, for for its own purposes. Um, but returning back to my original point, you could almost, especially if you assume an interdimensional capability, right? A kind of a quantum effects capability in the macro world, um, then you might even be able to understand the craft and the beings that are affiliated with the craft as existing almost in a a state of superposition, where when you look at them, um, your observations sort of solidify or collapse the wave function that that changes their topology and their characteristics and perhaps even how they speak, what they tell you, right? 
Um, and, and that may be as a result of their direct manipulations in, in terms of some, in, for some groups, but for other groups, it might account even for those slight differences where the grays, well, I think the grays look like this. Well, no, they look a little bit more like that. Well, the tall, the tall whites look more like this. Well, no, mine looked a little bit more like that. And, and so there are always these small things that, that seem to contradict, but in reality, it might not be a misperception of, um, you know, some sort of objective reality, but a natural human perception um, of relative reality. And so I think, you know, it, again, it just shows when you introduce, especially the interdimensional, you know, possibility um, or those capabilities, it really mucks things up and it really makes it difficult to come to any one determination. And so my approach is always just to say yes, right? Like if you think it, there's extraterrestrials, I've, yeah, there probably are, right? If you think that they're extra tempestrials, yeah, right? Is it a combination or, uh, you know, of interdimensionals and crypto terrestrials and ultra terrestrials and all of this? Yes, like, because there's no, I don't see a reason to, um, to separate out any of those possibilities. So again, got way off track there, but we were talking about interdimensional stuff and, you know, it's so fun to talk about, obviously. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with, um, with what you were saying uh, on, on, on many different levels. So I think I think that's very important for the context here of because, I mean, here we have these different sides of the conversation. Yes, we're talking about uh, non-human intelligence and this kind of what you're saying, superposition and the perception, uh, either a direct human perception that's relatively accurate, um, but also is not just that within itself um you have the the influence of psychotronics both human mm -hmm. and and especially um you know psychological or, or psychotronic effects you know via the phenomenon itself um and all this stuff can sound far out but at the end of the day we come back and we have physical crafts we potentially have physical bodies mm -hmm. we have um radar tracks we have videos right and uh, satellite data of all this that says no matter what of the, is is a misperception there's a fundamental reality to all of this and it mm -hmm. and and it's within our possession right at least right. the united states government and potentially foreign intelligence i believe uh you know foreign powers probably have some of this too right which comes down to the conversation we're having kind of today is uh, in the public realm is is technology right because mm -hmm. people can can relate to that and i think in a way that the technology you know we're seeing that as part of the conversation now and it's it's highly significant it's highly important i think um you know ufo researchers sometimes they want to get a, a bit deeper and i understand why they kind of already have accepted the reality of that but you know people in congress and senate you know although they're all on different levels individually you know the, the humanity as a whole hasn't taken this in yet and we're seeing right. we're seeing the cognitive dissonance play out in real time and it's it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. fascinating i have to yeah. say so yeah there should be some anthropologists studying these this whole effect on an academic level and they mm -hmm. can contribute to the conversation in that way um but you know, we're seeing all this play out in real time. And although we have 
you know, years of what of 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 reports. We have years of um, you know, UFO research and and experiencer testimony. At the end of the day, we do there are physical materials and and vehicles and again potentially bodies probably i definitely don't doubt it and and it is within our possession so somebody has a has a closer look at it and what we're seeing play out now is that coming into the public conversation and being accepted as 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 a basic fundamental reality and i think that needs to happen because we're you know we've been stuck in this cognitive dissonance on all different levels but we're we're finally getting to the point publicly now where we can actually move forward in the conversation and involve more minds, brighter minds, you know, recent technology, artificial intelligence, and all these other things you can use to to exploit the data and, and try to make sense of it uh, to whatever extent we can. And one, one thing, you know, that that just thinking about like what you're saying, where we're where we are now with the public and where we're headed to. Um, one thing I think that that you know is very relevant to you, especially um, that David Grush kind of gave us a little bit of a foothold for the next step in the conversation, which you know it gets maybe a little bit further than just the physical reality of the craft and the bodies. He mentioned agreements, and right. when I hear agreements, uh, a prerequisite for any kind of an agreement is contact, right? You can't have interactions and form agreements if you have no contact. And so this is another um, this is another you know aspect that obviously you, with engaging the phenomenon, um, you know, are very involved with in, in sort of this participation with the phenomenon. Um, and this is something that you know in loose threads we really honed in on as well, right? Where we looked at all of these different attempts to. Um, make contact with the phenomenon, right? To, um, you know, establish some sort of whatever kind of contact you can, it can be, whether it's lights in the sky or or something more. Um, and, you know, this was actually even something that, you know, Asat Bass was looking at, right? Um, there's a particular part of Forbidden Science 5 where Jacques Vallée was meeting with um, potential European co-sponsors, right? Um, I think this was probably, I think it was either the Prince of Luchtem, Luxembourg or Liechtenstein or some other European country that starts with an L um, that that he was arranging for um, these potential European co-sponsors and they wanted to have White House meetings to talk about communication or interaction right with the phenomenon and Jacques Vallée was very on board for this it is almost seemed like it was this was he, what he really wanted to do um, and you know uh, there there's just you know all of the stuff that we're hearing about we've heard about. For so many years, and um, you know, skeptics hear the UFO core story, the lore, right, and they see that as a negative, right? They see that that well, see, we've heard all this before, and um, you know, so that means that it's not legitimate. But what I think what we're actually seeing is a vindication of the UFO lore and of the core story, and of even the more um, you know uh, hardcore aspects of it that you know we might you know, obsess over more so than the physical realities. Um, you know, I think we're finding that perhaps if what Grush and his uh, iron posts are asserting is true, then, um, you know, what we're going to find out is that probably what's been going on rather than straight disinformation over the years 
is something that I call intel laundering, where you take a really sensitive piece of information and you know that it's probably going to be really difficult to keep it secret forever. So instead, what you do is you give it to groups who will discredit it for you merely because of their association with like the UFO community, right? If you if you have, let's say, um, a, a government agent or someone from the advanced theoretical physics working group who's trying to find information their way into these groups, right? Um, and they have this piece of intel and they ask you, well, where did you hear about that? Did you hear it from like a confidential source? They say, well, no, I heard it at a UFO conference, right? Um, then immediately you, you basically render that piece of intel. That's not a serious piece of intel anymore. Now it's just part of the poison tree, the poisoned well, right? Um, and, and I see, I, honestly, I, and I know a lot of people will disagree with this. I see that as MJ-12, right? I think there are aspects of MJ-12 that were absolutely intel laundering, where it's like, if we could just give this directly to the UFO community, give them what they want, they will on their own discredit this for us just because the stigma is so strong. The stigma that we worked to sow back in the 40s and 50s, right? All of that stuff, we they basically set themselves up where they don't have to keep the secret anymore. Um, you know, there aren't people at the Washington Post or the New York Times on staff that are digging for these secrets. Um, and, and I think that's that's part of the problem. And so what I think we're going to find, again, is, is that this core story, this UFO lore is going to be vindicated point by point. There will be aspects and details, names and things like that that are going to be slightly different. Contractors that we expected, there might be a few unexpected contractors there, um, you know, and, and different aspects. But ultimately, I think that the, the UFO lore that we've heard is correct. And maybe that's just because I'm especially credulous and I want to believe that. But um, I, I think that, um, you know, this disinformation, um, you know, Grush talks about that there's been a disinformation campaign that was waged for decades on the, you know, on the American people and I guess and on the greater public as well. But I think this is how it's done, right, by taking legitimate information and poisoning it, right, by associating it with something that's actually true, but it's been so stigmatized that, you don't even have to keep it really super secret anymore, right? You, it, it can be out as long as it's not out in a legitimate fashion. And I think that this is where Grush is taking us. He's going to get this information out um, or, or his iron posts are going to help get this information out in a legitimate fashion. Right. And, and wow. Yeah. There's, there's so much <laughs> to say to that. Um, and, you know, you have maybe even within that, people potentially trying to safely you know if you could to some extent leak information right to the public mm -hmm. or and get it get the information into the right people's hands where you can get other people working on it so you're not just doing it yourself either you can potentially mm -hmm. utilize you know civilians or or whoever is going to grab for it uh to assist you in that uh wow and i mean and you know, again, an example of kind of this information or the intelligence laundering could be where I, I want to get back to it a little after this is the, the Zodiac, right? The mm -hmm. Zodiac uh, story where it's potentially, uh, you know, a crash retrieval program. And, and there's, there's a lot of controversy around it. And I understand why um, it's, it's really, it's, it's put out there as a, fictional story based on uh, nonfiction. So it's mm -hmm. fiction based fact or 
however you say it, you know, it's, it's a fictional story based on fact, mm-hmm. uh, allegedly. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, yes. You know, Infotainment. Tom, Tom DeLong, right. And secret machines. He's, he's says, you know, this is fiction, but there are elements of truth within it. And mm-hmm. the people that were working through Tom, you know, we, we know who some of they are now, uh, you know, who some of them are now, thanks to the WikiLeaks. Um, and if you look at those names and, and the positions that they hold, I mean, the, this, these are some of the exact people you would expect to mm-hmm. to be read in or and proximity to these kind of programs and information. And I, I mean, I have to say, at least the, the most notable of that has to be McCaslin. And, you know, I almost don't yes. want to bring his name up because <laughs> I'm hoping I don't have to. Right. Um, but, you know, so, go ahead. Yeah. I yeah. There's so that that pattern of the using fiction or infotainment to sort of get out this information while maybe at the same time even helping to to further stigmatize it um, or using the stigma almost to safely, like you said, um, put it out to the public. I mean, this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. And, um, you know, it's not, I'm not talking hypotheticals like, um, you know, oh, all the Spielberg's films, you know, and any, any, you know, anything that you saw in X-Files, that was all part of this huge up. No, like I even, even more practical, more recent things like in Forbidden Science 5, um, you know, Kit Green says that that Christopher Mellon was involved in an advanced aeronautics and infotainment group in 2002, okay? So this is way before TTSA. Um, you know, he was involved in that, in that push. Um, you know, you also have, I'm reminded of... Um, I don't remember who specifically it was. Maybe you will having one of those brain fog moments, but there was literally a plan that they were working on to use Barnum and Bailey, like the circus company to put together like a national tour and that there were literally high, high officials that were talking about, should we use a real craft? How about, uh, you know, how would the public react to um, possibly bodies? Right. Um, You know, in, in sort of like a thing, should we use real bodies? Right. To, to do this, that there was going to be this tour, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking here, I was pulling it up that, you know, there was, um, you know, that this is this idea of how do we get this out to the public or should we get this out to the public has been discussed at high levels. Um, we have that, um, you know, how Putoff told Jacques Vallée um, that he participated in a panel in Washington right. Um, around 2005 to discuss the potential impact of public, publicly revealing UFO reality. Now, listen, this had 64 societal sectors and, 80, and eight subcommittees. It involved John Peterson, but at the end, it went much higher and all recommended for secrecy at the end. There were 64 societal sectors and eight subcommittees. So how many people were actually involved in this panel? Um, you know, there's a, there was a reference that we talked about in Loose Threads of Colonel Ron Blackburn, um, telling Jacques Vallée um, that he that he was involved in organizing a national panel, and I believe this was under maybe George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush, um, you know, to to look at this same issue. And at the end of the day, they always come down and land for secrecy. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if maybe the infotainment aspect, right, is sort of a way to safely get it out, um, and in a way that the public can handle. 
Um, but I'm not sure I agree with their assessment. I think that we can handle it, you know, um, and I think that we are ready for it precisely because we're so accustomed to living, like you said, you referenced earlier with, um, with uh, uh, what do you call it? Cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. We're just so used to that um, just because of the world that we live in that, you know, I think that, that they could come out with a lot of this and it would make a splash, but I don't think it would make the immediate impact that we hope that it would make, um, you know, and, and so, yeah, there's just so much there to look at. The, the other thing too, I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that you sort of, you briefly mentioned was, I think that we have two groups here. Um, we're looking at sort of two factions, if you will, right? So you have that, that are least. pushing for, yeah, at least. Um, so that are pushing for greater transparency on this issues, um, or at least greater oversight. So one are figures inside the government who are really mad about the lack of oversight, right? Um, and so these are people like Tom Wilson. These are people like, um, you know, Boucher, who we talked about before, Bill Perry, um, you know, there are people who think that that this is not okay, that there's this lack of oversight. But then you also have um, a group of contractors who are pissed at the lack of progress due to the excessive secrecy. Um, you know, and you referenced some of Eric Davis's, um, you know, interviews that, you know, in the past around the 2019 year, 2018-2019 uh, timeframe, where he actually talks a lot about this. And now we have recent reporting um, in the wake of Grush's story by Michael Schellenberger, who says that there were, um, he was approached by good high level sources about contractors that were trying to cut through the stovepipes and um, were rebuffed by the Department of Defense. Again, someone high up in the Pentagon shut them down, said, no, we're not doing that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I even think that possibly looking back at loose threats at the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, that that was an effort to do the same thing. Um, you have the co-founder, Colonel Ron Blackburn, who was an engineer at Lockheed. He told multiple people um, that he had handled and examined UFO materials, um, uh, presumably at Lockheed. Um, and, you know, he also um, has UFO patents that at least one of them was granted to him. And I think he had a, a, a couple of others that he wasn't able to get that he said were based on just like, you know, looking at videos of UFOs. Um, and at these meetings, you have so many people that are there from all of these different contractors, including BDM, where they were held, um, where, where a lot of the meetings were held. And they're taking all this information, they're information sharing, um, you know, which reminds me that, you know, Bob Bigelow, when they were doing OSAP, said that the government, or at least his sponsors, had gone from need to know to need to share. That's what he said, that they're, they're trying, that, that, the point of OSAP was literally to cut through the stovepipes because the contractors who were existing contractors were not getting the job done. And so the senators that were involved, um, and by the way, it looks like there were eight or more of them involved, not just the three that we know about, um, according to Kit Green, um, that they were looking to Bass to do that and that they were promised from the beginning that they were going to be giving, they were going to be given access to physical materials and even physiology. So it sounds like alien body biological materials from the existing contractors. And so when we see that Harry Reid, you know, trying to get SAP access, um, that was not like, that was the point from the very beginning of OSAP. Um, from the, you know, the original sponsors, that's what they were supposed to do and it never happened. Um, and so this, and now we see, you know, this thread again of outsiders, 
trying to, or rather maybe even insiders trying to get things out and outsiders trying to get in. Um, and, and so we have these two groups that are pushing from opposite directions. And, you know, at some point the dam is going to break and, and I'm hoping that that, that happens very soon. Yeah. And, and, and I think what we have been seeing is, is people within the system trying to eliminate the obstacles that have been blocking those conversations and that progress from happening. And, you know, and even to the specific level where Christopher Mellon and even in Tom DeLong's book, years before Christopher Mellon publicly cited it, there's a, a secrecy title that's talking about the waived SAPs and and mm. how they're able to operate that way and, and hide the programs. And and the problem with, you know, uh, this communication is bureaucratic, right? And but obviously national security is, is used as uh, an excuse. I don't want to say it's an excuse because there are there are legitimate national security issues around yeah. this. For it's a conversation in right. So you know that we we've definitely seen a lot of that uh, the old operation and paradigm bypassed by what's going on right now, and it's. It it almost reminds me of um, the Wizard of Oz, like the, this secret group with this assumed ultimate power, and you know they'll use whatever means necessary to end the conversation and to even eliminate people, which was discussed. Yep. Um, you know, some names that come to mind are like James Forrestal and um, uh, McDonald, right? Yep, James Dead McDonald, yep. indirectly at least. Right. Mm -hmm. It was a casualty of trying to pursue this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so. I, I think what we're seeing is is that whole paradigm being bypassed and a new generation of people and an old generation helping mm -hmm. look to set up uh, a new way that this is handled. Right. Because the old way was not working. And for whatever reason, some of these people are finding it very urgent that we need to have this conversation now. I don't, I don't know what they know, um, maybe, mm -hmm. right? But there's... You maybe don't know what they know, or... I don't know, right? I mean, uh, it, it could be something that's out in the open, right? It yeah, could be something yeah. that experiencers get during experiences mm -hmm. and downloads, and yep. they have other evidence that indicates and correlates with experiencer data. Yeah, that's uh, what which, I think. Which, right, yeah. which, and if any of that is true, could be catastrophic in, in, in some ways, right? Uh, you're talking, mm -hmm. so I, I don't want to get too far into all that, but, uh, and be over speculative, but it's there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, there's I, something I did, I did want to bring up with you was that there's, you know, talking about, right, this, you had this group um, that Hal Putoff was involved with, and they did this panel to say, you know, should we disclose? Could we disclose? Right? Would it be mm -hmm. like a really bad situation? Would society fall apart? Kind of thing. Um, I, I, and I think people need to understand, like, how is Hal involved with a panel like that, and what does that imply about him, and how deep yep. he is and was, and who he's potentially briefed, right? And what level yep. of access he has, and what keys does he hold? Uh, and and what public what can you pub you know garner from his public statements uh, that he can't maybe relay classified information to? But if you look at the implications of what he's saying, what can that tell you about what he knows that he can't talk about? 
-hmm. that's important to take into account. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, we've heard this theme of even people who want it, who want transparency and, and some level of disclosure, people on the inside, people who have access, there's a point that they're willing to go to. And there, there's a point that like everybody stops at, right? Uh -huh. What is, what is, what do you think, right? And, and you can just spitball whatever, right? Because we don't, we don't know um, what, what, what are the potential realities that they would refrain from disclosing, you know, even at the extent they're going to tell us non-human intelligence has interacted with humanity and we have some of their technology, but you know, what, what, you know, if they're going to go that far, what could they potentially be holding back? Yeah. So I think my brain goes to three or four different things. Um, the agreements the first, is one. Right? The agreements is one. We've talked about that, right? Yeah. So like contact, right? Interactions with the phenomenon. I don't think that that is something that they're ready to talk about. Um, abductions. That is something that they don't want to talk about necessarily. OSAP, at the very beginning, they, they wanted to go there. They wanted to talk, collect that data. And eventually the, um, you know, the, the sponsor, if you will, DIA, didn't want to do it, um, didn't want to go there. Um, so I think that the abduction phenomena is um, is definitely there. Another one that I want to talk about that I know will be controversial to a lot of people um, is ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles. Um, right now, and I, it may be a narrative, it may be a true narrative, or it may be a partially true narrative, um, is that we've got the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark scenario, right, where you have this technology, you've recovered it. And you're not able to make any progress on it or any meaningful progress for 90 years, okay? Um, and so now the reason this push is happening is because they got to make progress because we've done nothing with it. Um, on the other hand, there are, there seem to be, in my estimation, in the data, a lot of indications that some of these, that there do exist, um, you know, craft that have, you know, they may not be like top of the line exotic technologies, but they're exotic technologies um, that are black. And, um, you know, I believe maybe like, you know, alien reproduction vehicles, right? That they, they might've actually been successful in reverse engineering some of those technologies, which of course that would be, I think a legitimate national security concern. Um, you know, the other thing I, I've in the past argued that one of the reasons why this didn't come out, this hasn't come out, is because it would hurt the, you know, the pocketbook of these contractors who have this, this uh, material that they're able to kind of slowly weave this in um, to their conventional platforms over time and sort of milk it as sort of like a long-term slow burn cash cow, right? The golden goose, if you will. Um, and so that releasing this, especially re releasing it public source, wouldn't be great for them because it would hurt, it would hurt the bottom dot, you know, the bottom line. Um, I, I could see the opposite being true too. I could see that maybe they have made some, um, you know, quite a bit of progress. Um, and maybe there's some frustration that they're not able to share it with anybody who might be willing to buy, right? That they only have one person they can sell to and it's the United States government and the United States government doesn't even want it yet, right? They're fine with the conventional, um, you know, platforms. But what about, you know, commercial applications? What about, you know, in the energy sector and in other areas? I mean, there's a huge industries that if you've actually made breakthroughs, but you can't get it out to those, you know, to those areas. So I, I think just 
you know, whatever breakthroughs they've had, that's going to be a line that they're not going to cross. Whether you think like me, possibly I'm, I'm speculating here that they've got maybe actually some ARVs in their possession, um, you know, or maybe it's just they've been able to retrofit, retrofit some craft and, and make them work and use them for different things. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, Dr. Greer has pushed for for a really long time, that narrative, um, you know, among others. Um, but, uh, which, which I think is maybe partially the reason why so many people don't want to believe it. Um, and, but at the same time, I, I think we shouldn't dismiss that as a possibility that they, that they might actually have working vehicles. So we talked abductions, we talked contact, we talked ARVs. And then I think, um, you know, uh, what is it that the government has done, um, in terms of studying experiencers? What is it that the government has done in terms of silencing experiencers, um, you know, covertly? Um, uh, what is it, what actions have they taken, um, you know, to do this? And, and I think that those, you know, those might be more explosive than even the other things. Um, and, uh, you know, those are some dark areas that they probably don't want to lift up those rocks. Um, they don't, they don't want us to see what's under them. So those are my, um, those are my, I also think, yes, like you referenced before, there's something that maybe they know, um, you know, in reference to this, uh, you know, even Jacques Vallée and how put off Jacques and Forbidden Science 5 references that they have unique data um, that he would prefer that they take to their graves. Um, and, you know, I speculate um, perhaps irresponsibly that that data might be in the Rice archives that, you know, have a embargo on them. They can't come out for a number of years, perhaps until after um, Jacques Vallée is, is passed away. Um, I think that was done intentionally. Right. Um, you know, it, what is that data, right? What is it that they found um, that he and Hal Putoff apparently have knowledge of um, this unique data? Um, what's there? So that's kind of like the wild card, the unknown that might be related maybe to the contact, um, you know, and, and possibly even remote viewing. Um, you know, related it in, in those areas. So remote viewing, another thing they probably don't want to talk about, um, even though it's, you know, uh, obviously, in my opinion, it's obviously operational um, and has been for some time. There are probably multiple agencies that are doing it. There's probably a Cold War related to that as well. Um, reliable paranormal performance, they called it uh, during the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group. Um, that was at least part of it. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot there. There's a lot they don't want to talk about. The conversation is not even close to being to, to, to being done with. So yeah, and you know, one of one of the the quotes from Forbidden Science Volume Four. Jacques, you know, Jacques Vallée. I mean, yeah, I made like short little videos on the YouTube mm -hmm. channel about this, and um, there's a correlation to an interview he did with Jeffrey Mishlove, you know, talking about psychotronics and psychological warfare, mm -hmm. but saying, you know, they have the technology even in the late sixties, early seventies to make people, you know, hallucinate things and hear things. And then in, in this forbidden science volume four, he, he says that he has secured a document that uh, the CIA had, performed hoax ufo abductions in south america mm -hmm. um which is getting into what what people would consider my labs the military abductions so that's whether it's the military or a contractor group that is 
simulating UFO encounters that are not they're not genuine UFO encounters. They're they're you know for whatever whatever reason they might want to do that. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why they would do that. Um. So, what are your and you know I, even with some encounters, there's been comments made by Kit Green saying, well, some of these encounters, he's he's he thinks they're they're covert groups. So I mean, mm-hmm. what does that mean, right? <laughs> yeah, what does that, it's a human group, right? Not a um, non-human intelligence that's responsible for some of these close encounters. So what are, what are your thoughts um, when it comes to uh, the idea of, of my labs and the potential for it? Uh, I think there's huge potential for it. Um, and, you know, there's it's obviously a subject that came up quite a bit in our research for Loose Threads. Um, you know, primarily because of some of the individuals that we focused on in Loose Threads. We chose not to to, um, put the allegations against those individuals, not to publicize those, um, you know, at least, uh, you know, very publicly, because that's, those are some really heavy allegations to be made. Um, You know, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer accused um, John Alexander of being involved with um, my labs, psychotronics, things like that. that's a huge, I mean, you can't just throw around that kind of an accusation on someone unless you have some serious, you know, based on some circumstantial evidence, you better have some serious, solid evidence. Um, and even then, you know, that's not something that you put out publicly. If that's true, you need to go to a court of law and figure out what's going yeah. on there. Um, and and so I would certainly never accuse anyone of that. I think that's, uh, you know, because imagine if that's not true, which right. I mean, I let's just, I've, I have no reason to per- to personally believe that's true. That's really sick that you would tell that you would spread that kind of rumor about someone. Um, yeah. But but just in general, so that that that's kind of what went into our thought process because some people have asked us how come you didn't write about my labs, and I think that's just the honest answer. There's not good evidence to pin it on a particular person or group. Um, in our opinion, at least, um, you know, solidly where you would you would want to put your name on it um, on on a document like that. But um, I, I, I want to make a there there are some things in loose threads that we did put in there um, that I think are interesting. And I don't think they're related. You know, I'm not saying that these people are related, uh, that they know what's going on with my labs, but let's just say this. Um, during my labs, often blood is taken, right? DNA is taken um, and experiencers, usually a, a lot of times my labs happen to people who have had previous, previous abduction experiences where they're almost questioned about what is it that you learned um, you know, and, and basically intimidated and sort of told not to talk about it. And, you know, if you were a covert group and you did have the ability and you did have the ability to, um, you know, to abduct someone or to convince someone like we met, we talked about earlier, um, prior to this, you know, that, you know, you mentioned that maybe it doesn't even have to be a physical thing. It could just be, uh, a psychological thing used, you know, using drugs or using specific, you know, psychotronics that convinces someone that maybe they've been um, abducted by humans or, or something like that. Um, and let me just let me just pick- put this right here, just so people understand. Uh, even though the in, within the UFO lore that a my lab is kind of implying that somebody's physically being taken, uh, you know, Paul Benowitz is is an example of somebody who believed that they were in contact with a non-human intelligence when he was being worked by the intelligence agency, the um, OSI, the Air Force Office mm-hmm. of Special Investigations, 
were involved in making him believe he was receiving messages and they had there was needle marks on him and all all this stuff so and again the the video i made on targeted individuals um john alexander is stating for the record that uh, they used um, NLP, neural linguistic programming, and hypnosis to make people believe that they were abducted and that they you had a UFO encounter. That's that that could explain the majority of what people would consider my labs. I don't want to take away from anybody's testimony and say that they haven't been taken or 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 what whatever else that they claim. Uh, that that's anything's on the table with this stuff based on the nature yep. of how how intense the subject is. Um, but uh, on the kind of lesser end of the spectrum, these other things can account for for some some of the accounts for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so what, what I was getting to there is you know um, this group that's a part of OSAP Bass, right? So Colm Kelleher and Kit Green, um, you know, they were taking DNA, they were taking blood samples. Um, they were looking for biological markers and things like that. And I almost wonder if if you were um, a covert group who wanted to find that information out. Now, they were doing that with people's knowledge, right? They're taking that that information, um, not by, not as far as we know, they weren't involved in anything like this. But if you wanted to track and try and figure out what is it that these groups are doing, these groups of, of um, NHI, presuming you're convinced that abductions have happened, right? They're happening. And you want to know what's going on? What better way to do it? I mean, it's disgusting. It's sick. But if if you know the if you're a person who doesn't care about the the means to the end, um, and you're unethical and you and you're just a, a terrible person, then maybe yeah, like we can go, we can convince someone they're they've been abducted, or we can abduct them ourselves, and we can take all the samples we want. And who are they going to tell? Right? Who are they going to go to and run to and tell that? You know, oh, by the way, I was abducted by aliens, but then also I was abducted by the government. Um, you know, it's it's one where, um, you know, if they wanted to track that kind of information, they could almost try and reverse engineer what, um, you know, what these non-human intelligences are doing, especially as it relates to human physiology, um, especially if you believe that, you know, that, that the sort of genetic um, hybridization stuff that we've heard so much about in the abduction literature, um, you know, uh, that there's something to that. You could sort of try and figure out what's going on. What's the common factors? What are the common factors here? Um, and so, you know, that that's something that I'm very interested in and in, in just, um, you know, figuring out like, what did, I, I don't believe that, you know, any of the people there were involved in my labs um, at all. Um, but do they have intel or do they have any information where they know anything about my labs and they might have an idea of who might be behind that. That would be something, you know, um, that probably they wouldn't answer right now um, just because of where the conversation is. But right. one day they might be willing to actually talk about that. You know, we know that John Alexander has given, um, he's, you know, he's given lots of lectures uh, basically, um, you know, who's where the point was to sort of dismiss my labs. Um, which is interesting, um, you know, an interesting data point, but it's just that, you know, he feels very strongly and, you know, that that it was not something that actually happened. Yet at the same time, you do have those data points that shows that, you know, he was involved in or he had knowledge of, um, you know, these efforts to make people believe they were abducted. So it, it's just a very sticky subject. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something, someplace that I think we have to get to at some point, we've got to talk about it. Um, we've got to investigate it in a real way. And who knows, maybe this, this, um, you know, this place that we're at now will lead to that eventually. Um, you know, but uh, it's, it's going to be nasty if it gets there, right? Um, because if you think the pushback is going to come for this, the pushback on that is going to be probably 10 times worse. Yeah. And I, I mean, I should add for, for people watching and listening that this is the part of the conversation that people don't want to talk about because they think it could slow down progress because we're, it's kind of painting where we're going to have to end up exploring eventually. Uh, but we should, I don't think we should settle for less and, and we should shy away from the serious discussions because people need to understand that this is part of what comes with the whole thing. And it's, it's not right for the people that who have actually been involved and actually may have these type of experiences. Um, you know, you can't just back away from it because it's inconvenient. You have to take the thing for what it is. And if this is part of it, then we either have to confirm or disprove it. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for, for John Alexander, you know, I don't, I don't know him per se, but I would say, you know, he was saying that crash retrievals and Roswell is all bunk. It's, there's nothing to it. Um, but we're, we're seeing just the opposite play out. And like you had said, saying, you know, Grush is the real deal. So, and, you know, again, Eric Davis clearly had stated in, in interviews that, oh, John Alexander tried to access this and he didn't have need to know. So he was blocked out, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's part of it. Um, I don't want to speculate that he's part of a counterintelligence to manage information because I don't know that. Um, but it comes to mind, honestly, um, along with other things. So I, well, and there's, there's the other, you know, data point too related to the advanced theoretical physics working group where Hal Putoff stated, um, you know, he alluded to it in some interviews where, you know, John Alexander sort of said that, well, everybody, everybody always thought that somebody else had the, had the data and had the goods, but they, they never did. Um, whereas, you know, um, Hal Putoff has said that they did, someone else did have it. Um, and, you know, in Forbidden Science 5, Hal Putoff um, told Jacques Vallée that the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group went really high up with their briefings all the way up to Space Command, but perhaps they got a little bit too big too soon because um, basically what happened is it was shut down because there was a deep black program that somebody did not want exposed or duplicated. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's really wild that Hal Putoff would have that, would have that information and Colonel Alexander would not. Um, and then would go on to, you know, to, to, to give all kinds of reasons why, you know, that may also be valid why ATP was shut down. Um, but, uh, you know, the one thing that I would really love to have, um, and, you know, if there's someone who I think could probably arrange to get it, it's you, <laughs> sir, is the briefing book. There, um, you know, it is, there's been referenced, I think, by actually Colonel Alexander himself that there was an advanced theoretical physics working group briefing book that was used to kind of summarize their conclusions and findings and used to brief high level individuals. And I would really love to, to take a look at that. So if, you know, uh, this if, interview uh, might cancel. For yeah. Me. If, <laughs> no, if, but, yeah. if there's anybody that wants to, wants to pass that along to somebody and 
so that we could take a look that I think that would really help just sort of the public research into that into that um, time period that I think is so important. Um, and, you know, I, I would be surprised if, you know, people like, you know, Dr. Putoff didn't know about that or didn't have a copy of that somewhere tucked in their files or, or possibly even um, Dr. Eric Davis um, might right. have something like that, too. Right. So I'm right. very interested in that. So or I figured I'd throw that out yeah. there. So I know they watch you because they know how good you are. So <laughs> if they're out there and they want to be super, super nice and let us um, send us a copy of that, that would be really cool. So you, you can always wish, right? Um, yeah, you can always wish. Why not? Yeah. Shoot um, your shot. But we are we are uh, out of time here, unfortunately. I gotta I gotta go at this point, and um, I you know we we're definitely gonna have to have you back on probably sometime. Yeah, let's do it because there's there's so much more to discuss, and you know there's more things I wanted to get to that we didn't even get to address. So uh, you know we'll we'll probably arrange for sometime in the near future. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really been great having you on and, and hearing your perspectives and your research and your insights. And I, I, we definitely have to talk again soon. Yeah, man, it's been an honor to talk with the smartest guy on UFO Twitter and maybe in the UFO universe. So um, I appreciate <laughs> you having definitely me Definitely not the smartest. Maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know. There's, some, there's some kind of word for it, but. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> UFO savant. I think that's the word. <laughs> I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't classify myself. Um, that uh, Hermes would probably call me UFO trickster or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's the UFO trickster. Everybody knows that. So yeah. All right, yeah. man. It's been great. And yeah, uh, let's do it again. It's so, so fun. Definitely, man. All right. Well, you take care and we'll speak soon. All right. Talk to you yeah, later. Bye.